Thank you, Evan. Um, okay, so for this next thing, I need, uh, raise your hand if you're a foodie, like a serious foodie, like strong opinions. Okay, I need one of you to come up here. Quinn, get up here. <laughs> Guys, Quinn Ballard, everybody. Okay, Quinn, tell me, tell me about being a foodie. What, how, why would you describe yourself that way? I don't describe myself as a foodie all the time. Um, I like good food. I like spicy stuff. I like salty stuff. I don't like bland stuff. I like to sweat when I eat. I like to feel refreshed when I eat. I like food. <laughs> okay. Um, tell me, like, favorite restaurant experience in town. Like, they, they get it right, brings you joy, amazing food. I've never had a bad meal at Cafe Rose or the Wild Cow in East. Um... Or kava. Wait, Kava's I thought great. you said you're a foodie. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> give me, give me like, uh, what's a, what's? Do you have a favorite meal at Cafe Rose? No, I, my favorite meal is um, there's a Thai restaurant. It's called Ginger Thai. There's a green curry, very hot with tofu. It's just perfect. It's like, imagine the smiling elephant, but they not they're not trying to be cool. It's just a good. It's just a good Thai restaurant. Like, you walk in and it's like, it's from like 1995, which is great because, like, they would rather care about how they cook the food. Um, it's always perfect. It's always perfect. I've gotten it for like 20 years. It's the same thing. It's perfect. That's awesome. To me. Okay, so I have a gift for you. So, the next time you go there, I got you this bag of Tootsie Rolls. And you can eat this whole bag before you sit down to your meal. Great. Thank you. Don't be delicious. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Tell me, okay, would that enhance or subtract from your it experience? It would be filthy. <laughs> it would be disgusting. Okay, if you ate that bag of Tootsie Rolls before you went to have that green curry, mm. how does that impact your experience with the green curry? I would go get a stomach pump. It wouldn't. I couldn't taste it. You, you've had these, like, melted and gross and... Sticky in your mouth and like chocolate just coating your throat for <laughs> it, would, it would not be good at all. <laughs> We're very well aware of this. <laughs> Thank you. You're hey, seriously, okay. these are yours. Yeah. <laughs> but please share a few with my sons because they got excited when they saw me walking in with that. Are they, are they um, okay, so tell me, tell me this. Think about your favorite meal. Think about you're going on a, a date night or you're just going out with friends to, to one of your favorite spots and you've got this meal on your mind. Even if it's not Tootsie Rolls, why are you trying to not eat before you go? Just lay it on me. What? You want to fill up on that, right? Wherever you're going. Yeah, you don't want to be full. You want to have space. You want to have a, a cleansed palate. And what we're recognizing is when you say, like, I want to fill up on that, is I'm making a decision because we're recognizing our limitation. We only have so much capacity, right? 
Okay, so hold on to that thought. Uh, this summer, if you've been with us, we are in this series we're calling Apprenticing the Master. And it's, it's this whole idea that what it means to actually be a Christian is not just to subscribe to a certain set of beliefs and to check those boxes, but it is, is a living relationship with Jesus. That when we read scripture and we read about the, the accounts of him with his first disciples and they did everything together, they walked together, they talked together, they, they were right on his elbow when he was teaching and preaching and healing and doing all the things that he was doing. They were doing what first century disciples of rabbis did all the time. That's what it was to be a disciple was that you are trying to become as much like your master as possible. You are thinking like him, you're speaking like him, you're acting like him. And so in order to do that, you are spending all of your time and attention with him. And so something crazy that we Christians actually believe is that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we believe that even though Jesus is no longer in his physical body the way that he was in the years that he was on earth, that we read about in the gospel accounts, he is living and active now. And that through his Holy Spirit that dwells in every single person who belongs to him, he is, we are able to disciple, be disciples of him the same way that his disciples were in the first century. And that that, that same, the meaning of discipleship, the idea of discipleship, the program of discipleship has not changed. That it still means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, and we change that word to apprentice because that there's more cultural connections that we can identify with because we don't really use the word disciple much in our everyday language, but that we actually are apprentices of him, that he is our number one focus. We are trying to learn from him more than anyone else, from only him, of like what it means to live and, and how to find life and how to follow him and how to do the things that he did and say the things that he said and think like him and speak like him and try to emulate him as much as possible. And so each week... This summer, as we go through the series, we've taken one very practical application, again, trying to get us out of just information consumption and out into actually practicing these things in our everyday lives. Um, and so we've talked about things like apprenticing the master in prayer, the way that Jesus prayed, the way that Jesus spent time in scripture, um, and on and on. And today, we are talking about uh, apprenticing the master in fasting. And... Uh, if you are someone who is like me until very recently, um, fasting has been this big mystery box that gives me negative feelings. Um, and if you think about fasting, because one, because it's confusing, because I've heard so many different things, and I've actually heard so little about it, that there just aren't, there, there just aren't the same resources as there are about prayer and about these other aspects of being a disciple of Jesus. And uh, when I've tried in the past, um, I've kind of been just going blindly because I haven't really had a, a great grasp of like what is actually happening here. And so um, the relatively few times that I have experienced fasting, I've had all sorts of results all over the board. <laughs> Sometimes I've just gotten angry because I'm hungry and I've like seen no fruit in this and I've actually become less like Jesus in the way that I've behaved as I'm fasting. Uh, there've been times where I thought like if I fasted, um, God was gonna give me some kind of special blessing from that. I'm earning something from God. Um, and it just kind of, and there've been some beautiful times, but it's all been like really haphazard. And I've been really thankful for the Lord that uh, just like all of us, as we continue 
to learn what it is to follow Jesus. He has really helped me this last few weeks as I've been thinking about this, um, this sermon uh, of, of how I can practice this and, and what it means to apprentice the master in fasting. And, and I want to say this right at the top. Um, if you are someone who is, is not following Jesus, if you are a, a humanist or a materialist, or if you are someone who um, would call yourself a Christian, but you have not experienced the love of God and Jesus in a relational way, uh, then kind of the same way that we usually talk about giving, I'm going to talk about fasting for you. And I'm going to say, um, don't do it. Because fasting is not something that we do to be good. It's not something that we do to earn anything from God. And so if you're sitting in a place right now where all you can think about is, um, I can't see any possible benefit from this, then just sit it out, okay? Just listen and let, hopefully the Lord will, will speak to you about fasting during this, but, but please don't try to put anything into practice until it's coming from a place of, of walking with this Jesus who you have experienced his love for you. So um, I would like to call, is, it, is Piper reading her? Come on up, Piper. Piper's going to read um, our first passage. We're going to, we got a few passages we're going to uh, walk through today, but Piper's going to be reading Matthew 6, 16 through 18 for us. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. I mean, for they disfigured their faces that their face fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Piper. Father, we come to you and uh, just ask that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. Uh, would any words that I say that are not from you fall away, and would your spirit speak to every single heart in this room in the ways that you know we need to hear from you? And ask that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to start here in this passage. Um, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, about this new kingdom, this new way. And uh, during this sermon, he talks about fasting. And he says, when you fast. So Jesus here is expecting his followers, he's expecting his apprentices to fast at some point. Um, and this, we know this because um, he says when, but also this is uh, in the same context in the Sermon on the Mount of he says, uh, when you give to the needy, when you practice generosity, when you practice mercy, when you pray. And in, in, in the passage on prayer is when you uh, forgive others. And so fasting comes right on the heels. It's all in the same package. And we know that Jesus is calling us to those other things too. So he's also calling us to fasting. I will say this though, um, fasting is not necessarily a constant practice the way that some other practices are. So the reason we started this sermon series with the three sermons we did at the top after the introduction was because those three practices make up the sort of all the time important things of how to cultivate this life in Christ. We talked about prayer, we talked about meditation and scripture, and we talked about solitude. And if you think about growing a garden, kind of growing the life of Christ in us as growing a garden, those three things are the all the time things. Those are like the sun, the soil, and the water. And fasting, if, if you're a gardener, help me out. What's something you do like uh, just a couple times a year? 
mulch. Okay, great. Fasting is like the mulch, okay? It's, it, you don't do it all the time. If you do it all the time, it kind of, it actually undoes some of the good. It, it is just a, a periodic uh, practice. So Jesus is expecting his followers to fast. He doesn't give us a command. He doesn't tell us exactly how and when it's going to look. And there's a reason he can't do that because of the nature of fasting that we're going to get into. That would kind of undo what it's all about. Um, this is not a means of religious advancement. This is not something that we do to be a good boy or a good girl and to make God love us more or give us the things that we're praying for or anything like that. The way that Jesus talks about fasting here is he contrasts those who are fasting the right way and those who are not fasting the right way. And those who are not fasting the right way, he calls religious hypocrites. And he says, don't be gloomy uh, like the hypocrites because they disfigure their faces when they fast. They make sure everybody sees it. They make sure everybody knows that they are fasting. And that word for disfigure actually means ruin. <laughs> they ruin their faces um, so that other people can see the misery that they are in when they are fasting. And so what this reveals is that um, this is not between us and other people. This is not between us and God in a way that's like divorced from relationship where I'm having to like do the right thing so that he'll bless me and not curse me. Um, this is very relational and it's between me and my heavenly father. It's between me and the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit who are mine, who dwell in me and I in them, and we are in a relationship of love because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is where fasting takes its place in our lives. And what these hypocrites, the way that they fast, they are revealing uh, where their hearts are and what they believe about fasting and the way that they ruin their faces is they are communicating that there cannot possibly be some blessing uh, in doing this practice, that it's only hard and it's awful and look at me and how awesome I am because I'm enduring how hard and how terrible this is. And Jesus says, no, no, no. when you fast, um, you need to uh, just go on about life as usual. Shower, you know, uh, the anointing with oil kind of goes for us with like shower, wash your hair, take care of yourself. Don't make it look like anything is different. And then he says, um, this is between you and your father. Your father who sees in secret the privacy of this relationship. And, and I will say caveat here, there are plenty of times in scripture where God calls his people to fast together. But in our individual fasting, this is between my God and me. And it says, when he sees in secret, he will reward you. Now, this can kind of throw us off, the word reward. Um, again, he's not giving us some special gift because we decided to fast. That word that they translate reward really means like he will be faithful to give what is Expected, Like, uh, it's, it's hard to think of a way to say that. Like, he will, he will be faithful to do what, what, you know, would come naturally. And so it's not that he's going to bestow some spiritual blessing on us that is a uh, result of, of us doing a good job. But it's that um, we're going to get into this relationship further. That there's actually relational benefit the same way that there's relational benefit between uh, two people who are in love uh, going on dates and being alone together. And saying, you are going to reap the fruit 
like you would expect, because he's going to show up. He's going to be there with you. And just like two people who are trying to grow in relationship together, spending time together, like that is going to bear fruit because that's how you get to know someone. That's how you grow in relationship. He's saying fasting is an aspect of our relationship with God that operates in the same way. Okay, so now, um, you know, and it's, it's in the same way, like if I were to be on a date with my wife, um, if I were uh, the whole time on our date, I was looking at everyone else, making sure they were watching me do the right things and to see if they like were giving me the thumbs up of like, man, you're doing a great job on this date. And like, it's, it can't be about both. <laughs> like Lee is going to feel like I'm not there if I'm living this way and I'm like watching out here. But it is this private, beautiful moment between God and his people. And so um, now we're going to move into uh, Matthew 9, 14 and 15. We'll throw that up on the screen. It says this. This is a time when Jesus was teaching and some of John the Baptist's disciples came to him and they asked this question. Why do we fast and the Pharisees' disciples also fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So here... Um, Jesus is telling us that this is a way that we draw near to God, but that timing matters. This is not something that we do for God. This is something that is relational, that we read as we are in the process of being in relationship with God already. It doesn't enter us into relationship. It doesn't demand and, and make certain things happen, but it is the fruit of already being in relationship. And Jesus is saying, hey, timing matters. And what he's saying to these, these disciples of John the Baptist in this time is fasting is a way of drawing near to God. Fasting is always, always accompanied with worship and prayer. So it's not just the like taking away of food as if that does something. It is the taking away of food and the replacement of special times of worship and prayer. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, if fasting, the whole point of it is drawing near to God, um, why would my disciples fast? Because I'm God and I'm here right now in the flesh with them. There's no reason to fast. It's like, you know, he talks about the wedding, like when the bridegroom is there, the wedding celebrations in this culture were a week long. And he's saying, and for the whole week, if you're invited, if you're a part of this, if you are a groomsman or a bridesmaid or you are a guest and you're a part of this week long um, celebration that is a wedding celebration, your job is to bring joy to the bride and groom. Your job is to be there and actually celebrate and add to all the joy. And so Jesus is saying, just like it would be crazy for somebody during the week of a wedding celebration that they're a part of to fast or to, to do anything that is to break away and mourn, and, and that would be so inappropriate. He's saying, the fact that I am here with my disciples, this is the celebration, like the bridegroom is present. But then he says, there will be a time. And he's, he's referring to the time that we're in now. There will be a time when I will be taken away. First, to go to the cross, and then second, in the resurrection, he is, he is physically away from his people who are on earth now. And he says, during that time, then they will fast. He's saying there's something about this relationship that when I'm not physically present, even though I'm with them through my spirit that dwells in them, there's an appropriateness to fasting at this time. 
So it, is, it requires situational awareness because fasting, again, is relational. I want to just keep driving that. It, fasting is so relational that it is dynamic. Um, it needs to be in response to what the Lord is saying and doing in your life. Um, so even in his bodily absence, the time that we're in now, not all times are the same. When we are celebrating the resurrection of Easter, um, when we are in corporate worship, when we are, you know, all these times when we are celebrating our own wedding or whatever it is, there are times where it would be inappropriate to fast. But then there are times that are very appropriate to fast. And if you do kind of a quick survey through scripture, um, the times that people are fasting as a community and as individuals are times of mourning, when something terrible has happened. It's a, there's a way in which we draw near to God and he draws near to us as we fast in times of mourning. Um, it's also during times where we are convicted of sin, both as a community and as individuals, that we humble ourselves and we, we are, he gives us the gift of conviction, the gift of repentance, and we humble ourselves and come before him and say, you know what, I've been living like I am king and um, I'm not, and now I need you to show me. I wanna be close to you and let you show me how to live. And then there are times that fasting is appropriate where we are um, seeking his wisdom. We are seeking his will and saying, Lord, we don't know what you want here, but we care to know. And would you reveal that to us so that we could follow you, that your kingdom would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, um, again, as Jesus is teaching us, his disciples, he's saying, look, fasting is, is this fruit of and, pro and part of this relationship between you and God. And so now we're going to look at Jesus' own practice of fasting uh, because Jesus never asks us to do anything that he does not do before us. This is something that he practiced in his own life. And so we can look at his life and, and draw from that as we are apprenticing him, as we're trying to follow him and imitate him. Uh, so first we're going to be in John 4, 31 to 34. And this, if you're familiar, this is the end of the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And they've been traveling for so long. And so as soon as they get there, his disciples leave to go get food because they're hungry from their travels. And, and Jesus is here to meet this woman who needs to know the love of God. Um, and she does. And he opens her eyes to God's love for her. And then she runs off to tell uh, the rest of the town, look at this. I found the one who is to come, the one God who loves me and who loves you. Come and meet him. And so all these townspeople are coming, and about this time, the disciples come back with their food, and we pick up here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So something very, a, a very important fruit of fasting for us, we, we see in this passage. Um, again, why we're here doing this sermon series is because it is so important. We are embodied souls. We cannot divide um, the, the soul and the body. That we, with our souls, are trying to follow Jesus, but with our bodies, it has no correlation to our discipleship journey. So we are embodied souls. So if that is true, that our discipleship has to impact our body. 
It, it has to take on this bodily, physical element for it to be complete and to lead us into a new way. Uh, because without that, we are divorcing the life of Christ and the life of a disciple from our everyday life, and we're becoming functional atheists. Where again, we're checking the box and we're saying, oh yeah, yeah, I believe those things. But then we just run on autopilot and live our lives however the rest of the world is living their lives and it's kind of swept up. And so what Jesus is doing here when he's responding to his disciples is he is breaking that old immediate connection. They're saying, hey, look, you're hungry. It's time to eat, so just eat. And he's, he's stopping and saying, no, no, it's not this automatic autopilot thing. Just because my body is sending signals to say I'm hungry, it doesn't mean it's time to eat. Because why? Because my body is not in charge. Because I am dwelling in this body of flesh, but that is not who I obey. I don't obey the impulses of my physical body first. I'm thinking about something else. So I'm taking that into consideration. I'm factoring in the reality that I live in a body that needs food and water to survive. But the way that we think about and they thought about eating and drinking and satisfying the feelings of our body is inappropriate. We're giving way too much weight and too much priority to what our flesh is telling us to do. And so Jesus stops that immediate connection and breaks it and just says, okay, yes, I'm hungry. Yes, we're hungry. But what is necessary right now? And again, going back to what we've already learned about fasting, it's relationship, it's this fruit of relationship. And he's saying, as I am praying, as I'm meeting with this woman, as I'm engaging with this woman that God has brought me to and brought her to me, and I'm seeing what he's doing, and now I'm seeing all these people come because they are hungry, not for food, but for the God of the universe who could possibly love them and bring them back to himself. I'm saying, I'm hearing from God, it's not time to eat right now. That food will keep. That food, we will be fine. And guess what? If I don't have food for the next two days, we're not going to die. Like, we're going to be just fine. And so Jesus is helping them and helping us see just how often I give myself over to whatever my flesh says it's time to do. Without thinking twice, without thinking once about what God might be calling me to do in this moment. And so Jesus tells them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. There is a soul food that is happening when I am feasting on the word of God and when I am in this relationship with God, when I'm hearing him speak to me and I'm responding to him in love and we are doing this dance of this relationship of love, this is feeding my soul. And so the question for us is, you know, what is, what is our soul food? Um, and for me, a lot of times, it's actual food. Because I'm, I'm living in this lie that to have actual food, and actually not just food, but like all of my creature comforts met, is more necessary and is the first thing I need to worry about rather than, Lord, what are you doing here? Um, if you are a uh, fan of the Tour de France, uh, I know there's one of us in here. So Nick, I'll just talk to you about this. Um, you watch these guys and, and you're supposed to hydrate and you're supposed to eat and take in nutrition as you're on this like grueling bike race. 
and, that, and there's a science to it. You know, these guys learn their bodies and they learn what they need and when they need it and how much they need of it. But then you get to a certain point in the race where, you know, like some of the stages they're in now, these high, high mountains where it's like the last part of the race is this brutal climb of like some crazy gradient for so many miles. And guess what? All of that whole nutrition, like intake stuff goes out the window and they're tossing stuff out of their jerseys. They're tossing bottles off their bike because they're trying to get down to the lowest weight possible for this last climb because they recognize the moment that they're in. This is not the time to do what I normally do. What I normally do is take in this much food, this much drink, this many times on the road. We're out of that time. This is a special time. This is the end of the race. This is the finish line. I'm jettisoning all of this stuff because I'm a student of the times. I know what time it is, and it's not time to do what I normally do. And Jesus is telling us this is a window into what fasting is, is that um, we are trying to pay attention, Lord, what are you calling me to right now? And even aside from like actual fasts, just the, the discipleship aspect of not living in letting my creature comforts dictate my whole life. And I got to say, y'all, if, if you could see my life, um, a normal day-to-day -day life, um, I, it would be very embarrassing of how often I do that. How often I live in functional unbelief because of everything I'm aiming for is just to satisfy my creature comforts first. And Jesus is saying, hey, this actually is not, um, hey, bad boy, this is like you were enslaved. And this process of fasting, this practice of fasting is a means of grace to free you from that slavery so that you can experience more and more of the abundant life that is in me. And lastly here, I want to look at um, Matthew 4, uh, verses, one, uh, verses, let's see, 2 through 4, I think. Uh, 1 through 4, sorry. Uh, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this, this story comes from uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's easy to read this story that Jesus fasted for 40 days and he was out in the wilderness to think that this is like the extreme, like he was tested to the extreme because it wasn't happening in town. It was happening out in the wilderness. Like that was crazy. And it wasn't that he was full. He was actually, he'd been fasting for 40 days. So it's even more extreme when the reality is he was in the wilderness because that's where he was strongest away from all the noise. And he was fasting because that's where he was the strongest. There was a clarification, there was a clarifying, there was a strengthening, there was a focusing when he was not just, you know, and, and Jesus was perfect, so he never did this, but like when we don't just obey our flesh, when we separate from that and turn our brains and hearts toward him in a, in a different way, there is a strengthening and a clarifying and a sobering that happens when we do that. And we're actually able to think about the Tootsie Rolls, like because we're not eating that giant bag of Tootsie Rolls, we can actually enjoy the meal, the feast of being with our Father, being with our Savior, being in the Word of God and being fed and our souls experiencing that feeding. So Jesus, 
um, says something here that uh, is, is um, very important for us to hear. Uh, when the enemy tempts him and says, hey, look, man, you're hungry. Um, you, could, you could get bread anytime you want. Why don't you just do that? Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread is part of the equation. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The way that he says every word is like, just, I'm not going to miss a single word. Like, I'm setting food aside, but I'm like gobbling up every single word that God gives me because that is where my life, that is where my sustenance is. And what he's quoting from, where it says it is written, is he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, where God tells his people this. You shall remember the whole way in the wilderness as he's leading his people to the promised land with Moses. The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to see what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. And listen to this. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. That's the bread that the Lord made supernaturally to come down from heaven to feed his people, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that account really happened to the people of Israel. And also it was a sign, just like baptism, pointing forward to Jesus. Because Jesus says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. That's what that manna was pointing toward, is that I needed provision that I couldn't get for myself. And so God made it appear totally out of my own power and fed me and gave me exactly what I needed when I needed it to show me that he loves me and I can depend on him for everything. And Jesus saying that was pointing to me. And I am the bread, the true bread from heaven who comes down to do the thing that you can't do for yourselves. You are separated from God by your sin. You are enslaved to your flesh. There is no breaking out. You are enslaved to your flesh without hope except for God's sovereign mercy, which he displays in sending his only son down to you to be the bread of life. When we celebrate communion, it's, it's Jesus in the Last Supper breaking the bread and saying, this is my body that's broken for you. you. You truly need to feed on me, my life, my death, my resurrection. This is the pathway to life. This is what nourishes you. This is what gives you life. He is our bread of life. And there's something that happens in the practice of fasting as we do that in the context of relationship with him that helps us as a means of grace to guide us deeper and deeper into opening our eyes to see that and to see our need for him and develop a hunger for him and then to be satisfied in him. And that's what it is to be a Christian in this life until he returns, is to be constantly hungry and constantly satisfied at the same time. So there's examples throughout scripture of fasting, um, but one in particular I want to draw our attention to, and this is our prompt for the week. Uh, Acts 13.2, the church in Antioch were worshiping and fasting to hear the Lord speak to them about the, his vision for their church. And, um, and so this week, instead of asking that everyone fasts, I think that's unwise because we're all in different places. What I do want to do is invite those of you who feel called to do this. Um, as Evan said, we have this Midtown West Summit, where we t we're talking a lot about vision for the coming year, uh, coming up on the weekend of uh, August 11th and 12th. 
So what I want to invite you to, and again, this is not a, uh, this is not compulsory. This is not, if you're a real Christian, you'll say yes. This is just you responding to the Holy Spirit working in you. Um, An invitation to join me in fasting between now and then uh, for the Lord to draw us closer to him, help us hear from him and uh, anything that he would want to say to us about the vision that he has for us as a body going into this next year. And so if you want to take part in that, um, if you can send me an email, um, we'll have a piece of paper up here. You can just come up here and write your name down either way. Great. But just let me know sometime this week and I'll share more information with you. Okay. Father, thank you for uh, this means of grace. Lord, thank you for uh, the way that you give us these practices to uh, draw near to you and experience more and more of the abundant life you have for us. My prayer for today is that for anyone who doesn't know you in this room, Lord, that you would um, open their eyes to you, that you are the bread of heaven, um, and that they would feast on you and be satisfied. Father, I pray that for those of us who've been following you for a long time, uh, that we would have our eyes opened afresh to that and enjoy you um, as the (laughs) the bread of heaven afresh today. And Father, I pray that you would put on our hearts um, how you want us to respond to this message. Lord, for those of us who you're inviting to uh, join in this group fast, for those of us who you might be inviting to uh, fast uh, individually in in a certain way, Lord, would you just help us hear you and give us what we need to follow you. Uh, Give us what we need now to continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.